0: Totally epic, lots of action, lots of stakes. We learn about these other Beskar dark troopers. We learn about the other Imperial remnants. Freaking Praetorian guards show up. Like, so much happening.
1: Everyone to Krypton 2 Alderaan. I'm Joey, your Star Wars lover, and with me is Royish Good Looks. Hello, Joey. Hello, podcast. Hello, and we're the podcast that analyzes nerdy pop culture stuff, but it's mostly Star Wars. In this episode, we'll be talking about The Mandalorian Chapter 23 The Spies. I'm the spy. (laughs) Isn't that funny? (laughs) Because of what we'll get to later. But first, I just can't help myself but to come on here and keep saying thank you to everyone who is listening and supporting us. We continue to get more traffic and more support on YouTube. And it's really just so amazing to see. We are also almost at 300 subscribers on YouTube, which is also incredible. So if you're catching this on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button and help us get to 300. That would be amazing leave some comments and let us know what you thought of the episode we love 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 to see that it's been so great interacting with the community and seeing the community interact in our comments you can also follow us on any social media just search krypton to alderon it's always so awesome interacting with all of you no matter where all right that's enough of that let's talk about the spies Okay, Royce, the synopsis. Isn't this everyone's favorite part? Yes. (laughs) Survivors come out of hiding. But what survivors are they referring to? Who are the spies? I think, Royce, the first thing we need to do is to talk about how differently we feel about this episode than maybe some of the ones we've been discussing up until now and
0: maybe why we feel different. I think we've got a, that is the elephant in the room of like, (laughs) I I even, I looked at the uh, IMDb for this episode before coming on because of some of the guest people that were in this. I wanted to confirm who was who from Breaking Bad. There's Skinny Pete. Charles Baker plays one of the, I assume, survivors that they're referring to there, the Mandalorian survivors. But I was looking at the ratings for these episodes, and this is the only one this season that's above nine. I think it was 9.3. I don't know what IMDb ratings mean, but... It's higher than everything else. So four words that come to mind are, are you not entertained? Put in the gif from Gladiator. Like that is the summary for this episode, really. Who cares about the survivors? Just come along for the ride. It's going to be a good one. And it was. It certainly was. So we had a little, we had a brief brief
1: via text message (laughs) about our discussion last week and how we were kind of waiting for something good to happen. In one of our Bad Batch reviews towards the end of the season, we had said, do we feel like kids on Christmas morning? And I didn't even think to ask that last episode, knowing we were going into the final two because I was kind of bummed personally because I was not enjoying it myself. But now we're more stoked, right? Not to like jump the shark, but going into next week, which is the finale, we might feel a little bit more like kids on Christmas morning.
0: My mood is totally switched around i mean we had said like we love star wars we're going to keep watching you know we're not walking yeah. away from it but yeah dude my mood today was like you know where we were podcasting at like three thirty. i was like dude three o'clock cannot come fast enough i watched it like over breakfast like usual holy cow let's talk about it like what a difference one week could make from our attitude last week where hey we we're trying to love this show and let's talk about it but not really as excited to talk about it today. You know, we're just hoping that, hey, I do, I hope I get an N64 for Christmas with Rogue Squadron and Dual Shock controller or whatever. <laughs> and, and you, know, you had to be patient to get that. And we got like a dry spell in the middle of this season, you know, and then this episode, it's like all these extra surprises coming in. You were rewarded if you were patient through it and you didn't give up. The people that last week, said oh you know what i'm out i'm checking out guest stars lame plot lame dialogue if you checked out you just missed this banger of an episode you know i agree okay i don't mean to maybe
1: look a gift horse in the mouth whatever that even means but i don't think it's fair to anyone who might have checked out last week or for even putting us through hypothetically having that conversation as fans and creators to pile all of this into one episode, though. Like, I'm so appreciative of this episode. This past weekend was Star Wars Celebration, which really kind of like reinvigorated me. I love hearing creators talk about the stuff that they're working on and even hearing the people working on The Mandalorian talking about their passion for Star Wars and what they love about it and how much they love this work. That really connects me with the content more. We said a couple of weeks ago, maybe we have to work a little bit harder to enjoy some of this stuff, which I don't think is unreasonable to ask from the consumers. I do, however, think that it is a little, like we have also said, a bit of a hard pill to swallow. You and I both love this episode, but it's the second to last episode. And the past couple, I have not really enjoyed all that well. And they shoved so much into this one. It went 90 miles an hour. You could not catch your breath, that's for sure. Yeah, for better or worse, it feels a
0: little... maybe like this season
1: was a little disorganized.
0: Yeah, I mean, I texted you. I was like, this could have been a two-part finale or a two-part episode. They could have taken this episode, split it apart, gotten rid of some of the other fluff in some of the other episodes and repackaged it in hindsight, you know? So, dude, I'll go back to the album analogy. Like, if you're going to release eight songs on your album, eight episodes in your season... You've probably written, like, a dozen, 15 songs. Like, you you try to write more than what's going to go on the album, and the album is then jam-packed and is sequenced in a way that makes sense. And I don't think that's really the way we make TV shows. I'm sure they have plots and ideas that they've thrown out that they didn't produce, but you don't, like, write a whole episode, film it, and then not release it and release it as, like, a demo later. Like, Like, you would. In the recording studio, you're going to leave songs on the cutting room floor that you recorded, but will not make the album. So unfortunately for TV and movies, you kind of just get what you get. We we mentioned this like in real time, we're seeing how they've developed the season and they have to commit to it. So they committed to a couple of things that just weren't perfect. And that's why it's so easy to rewrite it in hindsight, because you're like, oh, this is what they should have done. Well, of course, because they didn't—they didn't really workshop it in the way that other mediums might workshop things. Like, there's such a—they're a behemoth, so all the wheels are turning. They've got to push it through. I, I think that that's okay. That's again something we have to work harder to understand. That you kind of are getting some of the B sides on the actual album, rather than you know you would only be able to have you know four or five episodes if it's all going to be 90 miles an hour, like you're saying, you know. But either way, those are two hard things to manage. You know, like how slow can you go? How fast can you go? Different directors, different writers. Like like you said, when you see the people that actually produced it talk about it, it's a, a miracle it gets made at all, <laughs> you know? Yeah. For anyone who's felt a little bit
1: let down by this season, I do encourage anyone to go like look up John Favreau or any of the people who work on this show talk about this show because I think it really does create a bond and some level of empathy that allows us to appreciate it a little bit more even if we didn't necessarily enjoy what happened. There's still an appreciation for the art and the creation of the art. And like rewriting is always easier in retrospect. I do it with this podcast Oh, well, I should have said that. You mean you
0: rewrite your own podcast? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) If everyone had the chance to, like, make a thing and then go back and remake the thing five, ten years later when they have a better... That's what George Lucas essentially did, right? As he was evolving Star Wars. And I'm sure that that's how, like, most creators who love the thing that they made do. So it's not on us to go. Sometimes we say, oh, it would have been fun if they did this or blah, blah, blah. Again, I'm not I'm trying not to have expectations when I go into it. I just want to enjoy the stuff. But maybe a little bit of like keeping ourselves in check with the rewriting stuff and understanding and having a level of empathy towards everyone involved in the creation of this thing.
0: So I totally agree with you. You're kind of alluding to like they packed a lot into this episode. You're saying 90 miles an hour. Like, do you think there was too much in this episode? Is that not to call that like a mistake or whatever, but like, did we need all of this? Like, is this almost too much of a 180, you know, from the other episodes where you're like, whoa, we got Imperials. We got all the Mandos reuniting. We got this badass fleet flying around the galaxy. We go back to Mandalore. We see a freaking Mythosaur like jumping out of the ground, like Godzilla or something like totally epic. Lots of action, lots of stakes. We learn about these other Beskar dark troopers. We learn about the other Imperial remnants. Freaking Praetorian guards show up. Like so much happened. We lose a major character. Two kind of, one gets captured. One is seemingly dead. It's a lot. Did you think it was too much that they packed in this episode? Is that also kind of a faux pas here to be like complaining about having too much?
1: I kind of do think that it is. Wouldn't it be funny if we came on here and was like, I can't believe this episode was good. Yeah. (laughs) It was supposed to be bad. Remember when I said it was not enough and now it's too much? (laughs) Come on. What do you want? No, I, I mean, I think maybe one could feel a little bit of whiplash from last week's episode to this week's episode. But I do not think that this week's episode had, quote unquote, too much in it. What I really love about this week's episode is that it did not allow me a moment of relaxation right? We've talked about it before where there's really good episodes of the Bad Batch this season where you don't feel like you can have any peace, right? There's always something ready to jump out at you. I don't think that was a mythosaur. I think it was something else. Huh. But I do think like every moment in this episode, I was waiting for a shoe to drop. Every time they flew through the atmosphere, through the storm in the atmosphere, I was waiting for the Empire to be there and attacking them. I was just constantly on the edge of my seat. My heart was pounding. I was excited for the episode in the episode. And so that's what I love. Like I was talking about in our episode last week, like this is what I want to feel coming to a finale. I think one of the last questions we asked was like, would you be okay with it kind of fading to black (laughs) and then coming back up in the next season or whatever? Which, yes, but I love feeling this energy while i'm watching the show
0: well listeners can't see but i'm like feverishly nodding my head along like (laughs) dude i felt stuff man and that's all i want you know out of the album out of the show that the heart is is racing you're feeling the stress i also like laugh my ass off at some of the grogu stuff in this episode like it had everything and i'm definitely not complaining about that but dude it was stressful to the point where you're like oh, my God, I can't take it. Like, if they did one more thing, you know, if something happened to Din, like, I would have been like, no, if Grogu's watching, like, I was trying to calm myself down, to be honest. Like, it did elicit so much of an emotional response. was great. I'm so happy with it. I'm hoping that this has also, like, begun to make things right for the rest of the Star Wars fandom out there that's watching this show. And with Celebration, like, there's nothing to complain about right now. We're so... We're so lucky. Yeah,
1: I agree. I think that that's always another good thing to remind ourselves of. Being fans of this property in general, we are very lucky. We're lucky that Disney bought it and is wanting to continue to tell these stories. I mean, they're making money from it, but also (laughs) the people who are running almost every aspect of Star Wars right now are huge fans of Star Wars. So we're getting good stuff. I love it. Joyce, my first question for you was, when the episode started, were you worried? Once again, we don't start with the Mandalorians. (laughs) Coming off of our conversation from last week, were you worried about how this episode started?
0: Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. You're right, like, oh, Coruscant, who knows? And we're bringing in uh, that Kane character again, who maybe isn't quite a fan favorite yet. Maybe could be down the line. She's my fan favorite. We know. (laughs) We know you've got a crush. We know. (laughs) But then they cut to Moff Gideon and his secret lair and you're in with all the Imperials and it's like, whoa, there's some stuff going on here. And this has been going on. We just haven't been clued in until episode seven, even though they mentioned that he had escaped. There were some little teasers that Moff Gideon was not actually in custody. And here he is. And he's like, (laughs) master of his domain. I was not worried after that because I was like, this is cool. And he's like, I'm coming for the Mandalorians. We're going to crush them. I love that scene with the Imperial Roundtable. What, what was your takeaway there?
1: Oh, man. So good. So, so <laughs> good. We've had questions about Elia Kane and is she really working for the New Republic because they're kind of like skeevy people? Or is she still with Moff Gideon? We learned the answer to that. And it also... Okay, this is just a weird little thing that might or might not tie into the Bad Batch. I know like all alleys look the same. It looked exactly like the setting in in one of the episodes from this season of the Bad Batch where the clone who's like trying to run away from the assassin, whatever that like truth and consequences, the mid-season finale. So I thought that was also Hmm. cool. But yeah, super, super cool to bring back Moff Gideon in that way. And then he's walking through the fortress and we have those like ray shields, very reminiscent of Phantom Menace with the battle with Maul. Those troopers look so cool. I don't want to be the like, whoa, that was so cool, podcaster, but that armor quickly rose to some of my favorite designs in Star Wars. Did you
0: notice those troopers standing on the sides as he was walking down that corridor? Yeah, it's pretty crazy how many like stormtrooper variants, clone trooper variants you can have and be like, "Hmm, that one's a little bit different and I'm gonna need that pop now as well. Yeah. Uh, This episode was big for pops, I think. There's gonna be tons of new ones, tons of new Lego figureheads and whatnot. Yeah, all of the character designs were pretty cool for this one, especially those new Beskar troopers.
1: I don't usually look at something and I'm like, I would buy the Black Series (laughs) figure of that. This one, 100%. I love the look of those so much. Did you have any inkling that that might be Mandalore? I had no idea.
0: I was like, is this Exegol or something? You know, they mentioned the Praetorian Guards or whatever. I was like, this something is like extra about this, but maybe that is Mandalore that he's been set up there the whole time because that's where he's getting the Beskar from, right? So that that must make sense. And then later, like, they're running through the, the mines, you know, by the Fords, and, like, they run into an Imperial hallway, and you're like, what just happened here? So there's clearly an Imperial base there. Yeah, kind of crazy. My mind wanted it to be, like, an evil Sith planet for whatever reason. Like, <laughs> you come up with this grandiose headcanon, you know? Right. It's like, no, it's Mandalore, dumbass. Like, he's looking for Beskar.
1: Yeah, and it's made so clear towards the end because Gideon is saying, you know, each civilization has something to offer. The Jedi, the Cloners, and the Mandalorians. And it's so interesting to see that level of strategy. Like, he's just going around and taking pieces of these civilizations to suit himself. Oh, literally, to suit himself. Builds a suit for himself. But, like, that's the kind of deeper storytelling that I love. Like, you could see the strategic wheels turning in his head as... He's setting up on Mandalore to like make this new Death Trooper armor, definitely also setting him up to be maybe a rival to Thrawn, who is the galaxy's greatest military strategist. I mean, just incomparable. So it's kind of cool to see them positioning him to be an adversary there as well.
0: Yeah. And you that's what you want from your big bad guy in the series that you're like, whoa, he's unstoppable. He's got, you know, powers beyond reason. Like you want (laughs) you want to assume that he's going to be like an insurmountable threat that the underdogs somehow have to, you know, bring down with the goodwill of the people. And it's Beskar against Beskar. It's amazing. It's it's awesome what they've done with it as long as it's not like Iron Man against the Iron Man, but I think they've positioned it pretty well. Another thing I'm noticing with the design of the storytelling here, this episode opened up with the Imperial cold open. We have all this time with the Mandalorians, and then we bring back the Imperials at the end. And that seems to be kind of a theme with a lot of the episodes this season. You know, We're with the Mandalorians in the beginning, we go to Coruscant, we're with the Mandalorians at the end. Last week, we're with the Mercenaries, Then we're on Plazier 15 and we're like back with the mercenaries, you know? They have this like bookend strategy for this season. They always have an opening, a big, meaty middle, and then the ending kind of calls back to that opening scene, you know? It's like poetry. It's like a sandwich, you know? (laughs) Meat
1: in the middle. Sorry for any vegetarians or vegans out there. Fake meat and whatever you want.
0: Dude, big Mando sandwich with extra Mando this week. This was great. (laughs) That sounds so (laughs) weird. What did you think of like, Hux and
1: Project Necromancer, which I assume is cloning the Emperor. Necromancer, you know,
0: kind of makes it a little bit more obvious there. But yeah, I guess I'm not sure how I feel. Like, I really loved Hux in Force Awakens and not quite loved what they did with him in the subsequent sequels. But it's great that they're tying it in with the Sequel Trilogy. It seems like that's part of what they're doing here is like, let's put all these things together and make them better as one rather than like, I hate the sequels. I only like the Mandalorian or whatever. And you're like, 100%. Well, actually, they connect, you know? Or like you're saying with stuff with Bad Batch, like who knows what else this can tie into, but it certainly makes it all more worthwhile. So yeah, I like that. Although it didn't look like Hux. It sounded like Hux, but it didn't look like him. I don't know what the... The time period is how old or young he's supposed to be, but I'm okay with it because, yeah, he's the next in line. So that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Also
1: in that scene, something important, I think, another like Moff Gideon as this strategist is that we see Hux question him about Pershing. Gideon says the New Republic caught Pershing and his research was mostly lost. So now we kind of know that Gideon set up Pershing to have his brain scrambled maybe to delay or end project necromancer because gideon wants to be the ruler of this new empire right Mm. he doesn't want them to clone the emperor he doesn't want thrawn to come back he wants to be the man in charge so maybe we'll even see these three different warring fractions of the empire three different remnants and then the, like, good guys also in there somewhere. There's going to be a bloodbath, that's for sure. As much as I don't want Thrawn to be a bad guy, but we'll talk about that on a different episode.
0: Hmm. 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 Dude, we wanted steaks, man. So many stakes here. The Mandalorians want to come back. Gideon threatens that. Gideon's trying to take over within the Imperials, and they're like, well, Thrawn's out there somewhere. Is he going to come back? It's going to be a, a war of the worlds coming soon. Yep. It's like a
1: steak sandwich. I also can't wait for the day where we, like, don't talk about these things in terms of trilogies. You had alluded to this, building one big, cohesive, meaty (laughs) experience from beginning to end, filling in those gaps so that it's a literal saga, a complete saga, and we don't have to keep saying, I didn't like the sequel trilogy, which is valid if you didn't, and, you know, it's not my favorite thing in the world either. But the more things get tied together the more I enjoy it. It's another part of this for me. Like, the Clone Wars elevated the prequel trilogy for me so much that I enjoy the prequel so much more now because of this other content that was created in between and connected them. It enhances the experience so much. What did you think about Bo's speech on retaking Mandalore? She's now brought both factions of Mandalorians together and she gives them this speech
0: about leaving Navarro and going to Mandalore. It's pretty amazing how easily the different tribes get along, which, I mean, maybe that's not as important for the plot for them to, like, work out their differences. It's kind of beautiful that they just are kind of like, hey, let's get along. If if only, like, the real world could learn from the example of this TV show, you know? She says lots of stuff about how they destroy themselves and whatnot, and the the fight between Paz and Woves later, like, similar kind of thing. But I would chalk some of Bo's dialogue up to, like, kind of, you know, weak. If I'm going to complain about anything in this episode, I think they're still sugarcoating the dialogue. Like, we're going to go back to Mandalore. Here we are back at Mandalore. We need to find the Great Forge. I can take you to the Great Forge. Okay, it's fine. I'm not really here watching the show for the dialogue experience necessarily. But we wanted them to go back to Mandalore. So I'm glad that they just ripped the Band-Aid off there and say, hey, we're going. And, oh, everybody's standing up one at a time. I will go. I will go. I will go. Yeah. I guess we're all going. That was another one of those like, hmm, I don't don't like how this is oh, going really? down. But it was interesting, beautiful that they did all come together in the end. I-, I wanted them all just to like cheer together like they did at that meeting with the fire and the talking stick where they all started kind of like erupting as one rather than kind of one at a time. I will go. Well, I will go. And the armor is like, I will go like we know. Okay. It's like you with the, uh, I'm on the N1. We know, we know you're all going to go to Vandalor. But I'm glad that they just went back because that's what the plot needed to have happen. You know, we didn't need to debate about their tribes getting along or not. They were already on the same page, which I thought was really beautiful.
1: That's so interesting that that's the way you read that scene. Maybe I was just, maybe I was in a better mood today or was like more into the episode, but I read this the exact opposite. My notes here say no hammer holding. No misdirected counter speech, just loyalty. They all just stand up and say, I volunteer. If I remember correctly, she was asking for volunteers to go down to the planet. Yes. But she didn't have to hold the special hammer, you know, maybe because she has the dark saber, but whatever. There was no one (laughs) got up and was like, why would we follow her? because we're Mandalorians, you know, it was just like, to the point, it felt so good to me. And then when she says, maybe that's later where she gives the speech about it's always our own division that destroys us. When she said those words, it made me feel what I feel about Star Wars, all the hope and the fight for what's right and your people and your hope was packed into that sentence and made me feel like it was Star Wars.
0: I agree. Yeah, I love that scene where she's talking to Din on Mandalore. All right, let me redeem myself a little bit. I love that Din is the first one to stand up. Like I was saying last podcast, he's a great number two who's supposed to help bring everybody along. You have the leader, the leader proposes an idea, and Din was the first person brave enough to speak out among all the other Mandalorians. And then everybody starts kicking in. Wolves says he'll go, and Paz is like, well, oh, screw you, Woves. I'll go, too. That aspect of it I did really love. It's just the repeating the same line of dialogue over and over that sometimes can be a little bit like, hmm. But, oh, I'm right there with you.
1: Yeah. I guess while we're talking about that, Well, we're talking about Din being a great number two and being the first one to stand up, they're having this talk. Din says the greatest line in the entire series. He says, your song is not yet written. I will serve you until it is. It gave me chills. I I wrote here in my notes something I can't say on the podcast because we're trying
0: to not swear. (laughs) But it's so good. It's so good. That's such a good line. Oh, my goodness. Well, and Bo's not confident there. And she's like, I can't lead them. I have this sword. And he's like, dude, forget that sword. Like, I believe in you. You know? And so again, beautiful. The sword means nothing to my people. We follow honor. I just don't know. The tone
1: of this episode and the tone of the dialogue, maybe direction, I don't know, felt so different to me than the previous couple that these words had so much more of an impact on my enjoyment <laughs> We have to talk about the ship. We have to talk about, like, the sail barge that the Mandalorians who have been abandoned on Mandalore, I guess, have. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna <laughs> be that guy again. That's such a cool ship. That was so cool to see. Maybe some Return of the Jedi vibes there a little bit with the
0: barge, but... I loved you- <laughs> it. I loved when they were like, let's go to the forge, and then they're like, put up the top sail! Let's go, everybody! Yeah, it was yeah, like this yeah. very, like, Pirates of the Caribbean sort of, like, vibe of it. They're pirates on a ship, which I guess works for the... You know, the circumstance they're in and the kind of culture that they are that like, yeah, you're going <laughs> to sail away on your skiing desert. Like whatever that ship was, it was unique. That's for sure. Barge, but like with skis. And wasn't it flying at first? Like it. Cool ship. Anyway, slice it. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Magnetics are weird on Mandalore. <laughs> yeah.
0: I did think that it was either going to be pirates.
1: My first thought was like, is this Hondo? Or Gideon.
0: No, I thought it was going to be other guy. Vane? Vane, yeah. Because they did mention him at the beginning of the episode that they were setting up the pirates on Navarro. I guess that was an Imperial or a Gideon. Right, so Carson Teva gets a little bit
1: of his moment there with predicting that it's all connected. Yeah. Yeah. So on this super cool flying Peter Pan, (laughs) Return of the Jedi sail ship, Paz and Wolves get into a fight, and Grogu, (laughs) in his new ig armor stops them could anyone have (laughs) predicted this mid-season we sat around here we had all four hosts here and we were like what do we think grogu's armor is gonna look like no one said
0: that it has space for his ears
1: (laughs) yeah oh it's so good the scene where they get it is so good The little and super cool the pup tree specifically in that scene on navarro was so good what do you think of This being
0: their interpretation of armor for Grogu. My note is joyful laughter. I laughed Mm. my ass off on this scene. And as soon as the Zelen got out of it, I was like, oh, no way. Are they really going to put Grogu in it? And Robin was like, he's not going to fit. And right after then is the line, let's see if he fits. And <laughs> Karga puts him into the IG unit and he's like laughing as he's doing it. And I, I was laughing the whole time. And as, as soon as he starts communicating with the yes, 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 yes. I'm making fun of dialogue that repeats, but I, that just killed me. I was losing it. First of all, talk about a meta moment.
1: Dialogue repeating for sure. But then also now he gets to express just how much of a toddler he is with the yes and the no and the taking stuff, not listening. Once you have a certain amount of autonomy and then Din just being like, this isn't working for me.
0: That line got me when they're at the fruit stand or whatever, and he squashes the fruit. So wholesome. <laughs> Another great, like you said, you want Grogu and Din to be like the family aspect in future episodes or seasons. And that was a great little nugget of that in this episode that didn't really have a lot of Grogu in it, but the Grogu moments that were there were excellent And oh my God, that's such a great scene. My mouth hurts from smiling so much because this is not often the case on the podcast talking about this show. Oh, goodness. Yeah, now Groku can go and do more stuff, right? I think that's why he was saying the yes, I'm running around, I can be part of the squad rather than like, you're going to stay back with the armorer and like have a play date. And a little bit of sweet poetry
1: from the first season ig 11 sacrificed himself protecting grogu mm. and now continues to protect grogu and now they're one yeah as a literal protection
0: yeah wow i love that i hope that they have some other taiku atiti like lines of dialogue that he recorded that will eventually come out with that rather than just yes and no so what about him breaking the fight up with Woves and Paz? back to
1: that yeah no i love that and does this give Luke a little bit more of a redemption here? You know, I didn't give Luke a lot of credit for what we saw of his time with Grogu. Maybe Luke isn't completely there yet, but I didn't think he treated Grogu very well and made him make that choice. I don't agree with shot him into space with r all by himself. But if he's teaching him this like diplomacy to interact with people in that way, because Din is like, he didn't learn that from me. I, I think that's just amazing, right? It- It goes more to Grogu maybe being the unifier, being the Mandalorian, right? Holding the Darksaber and being the unifier of these people as a Jedi
0: and a Mandalorian. I mean, you always said like, oh, is that the Yoda moment? You know, truly wonderful, the mind of a child. Here Grogu is the smallest of all the Mandalorians, needs a suit of, uh, you know, a robotic suit to actually like be in the middle of them, breaks up the fight between these two people who are trying to prove who's the strongest, most dominant one. But Grogu... Through his Jedi training, he's learned that, you know, you don't use your powers for attack, you know? You use them for defense, for good. And here he is defending, like, these two people against each other. So beautiful. And then I love that Din gives him a head nod through the helmet. You can only do so much communication with the helmet, but the head nod is, like, the most effective one. And then Grogu nods back, you know? He can yes, no, and he can kind of nod. He can make a lot of faces, I guess. But that was the icing on the cake, that he was like, I got this. Don't worry. And like you yeah. said, they need him in this new world where these different tribes are coming together. And what was called them? Some kind of derogatory term. Primitive. Primitives. Yeah. It, it sounded like an insult. Yeah. Very insult. But then you get Grogu in the middle that, you know, he kind of walks both worlds. Even more than that, that he was a Jedi, you know? So that was just awesome. Holy cow. This episode ruled. <laughs> yes.
1: We kind of jumped back and forth a little bit here, but I think we can maybe head towards the end where the Mandalorians who are scouting the planet get forced underground from a monster. I don't think it was a mythosaur. I, I thought they would make much a bigger deal out of it if it were. But they're forced underground, and they see the forge that used to ring with the sound of a thousand hammers or a hundred ha- whatever she says. <laughs> and then the Imperials show up. And then, conveniently, Axe makes an escape. There were maybe quite a few misdirections in this episode with, like, who's the title about? Who are the spies? The armorer leaves to take Wounded back to the main ship. She takes bo ship. That timing was pretty suspicious. Then Axe leaves the fight to go get help. I'm a little unclear about how he's supposed to get back to the Mandalorian fleet because Bo-Katan's ship is gone and they only took her ship down there. I don't think you can fly a jetpack through that storm. So his timing was also convenient. So was he a spy? Like who's the spy? And then they chase the Imperials through the what ends up becoming the Imperial facility, like you said, and then they get trapped. And Din is the one on the side of the door where we reveal Moff Gideon and his new armor. What did you think about that moment? What did you think about Moff Gideon showing up and being like, and the best part about it is, it's got me in I didn't
0: hate that line, but it definitely (laughs) was a weird line. But I mean, if you're you're so full of yourself, like that's something you would say. So it makes sense that he is just like, hey, I'm unbeatable right now. I'm the best of every single society in this galaxy. What are you gonna do about it? Also, it kind of looked like, did he just have robot legs? Is he a cyborg now? or uh, It didn't look like a suit to me. I could be wrong, but I mean, he's certainly cocky. Maybe there's going to be something there to his undoing. He loves to give these long drawn out speeches. Yeah. Kind of like the Tarkin thing.
1: He's very cartoon villain. I mean, I loved that scene, but he was so cartoon villain in it. What do they say in the Incredibles? Monologuing. He was monologuing me, but his armor was cool. But I I also think it's funny because in like season two, Pershing says that the weak part of the Dark Trooper was the organics. But here's Moff Gideon being like,
0: it's better because I'm inside of it. I mean, he didn't do anything in the episode other than orchestrate the events. It's not like he was actually battling and didn't beat him with like a Beskar spear, did he not? So Gideon talks a big, big talk. Yep. But I think that's when we get our first like real good look at the troopers
1: in their white and black armor, which is what I was talking about earlier. The design that I love. As much as that scene was horrible, seeing Din get captured, the aesthetics of it were great. All those troopers (laughs) look awesome. Did you think that when Din got captured, Grogu, were you expecting some mega
0: force use moment there? I definitely shouted that. I was like, why isn't he blowing the door yeah. open? He's used the Force to lift really heavy things in the past. you think he could have opened the door. I was definitely expecting Grogu to, like, tap into some anger there and potentially save the day. But that's better storytelling that now they're separated. You know, normally the story is Grogu gets taken, but that wasn't the case here. Din gets taken, and oh, that's another thing point. where you're like, "When did you expect that to happen?" And in that moment, I'm like, "Oh my god, is he gonna get beheaded here or something? Like, what is going to happen?" And that's like where I was, you know, losing my stuff is like, "That's gonna be too much." And especially what that would do to Grogu, although that would be sick. If then that had a big force moment after it. All of this is great though. Like, it made me feel stuff. Like, that's I think that's gonna be my new go-to. Like, I. Had some feelings, and that's a good thing. <laughs> I love that. And I hope that it's coming across how
1: animated we are in having this conversation. I did not pick up on that. That's a really good point, that usually it's like Omega or Grogu getting stolen, and this time it was Din, the parent figure. I also really like that Grogu did not have a tap into anger moment. Again, maybe that goes back to his training with Keller or Luke. He's learning how to control his emotions, even under dire circumstances. So I kind of really love that he didn't have some crazy outburst as much as maybe the Jedi way isn't the always right way and you should do some stuff to save the people you love. But I do think that's kind of cool that he didn't. Uh, Maybe we'll also see that affect Grogu in
0: the next episode, a level of regret or something for not having done more. Well, Grogu tried to rescue Din in the mine earlier this season so maybe there'll be a moment there where you know din's being held and grogu saves the day it still might be to come yeah
1: let's see if ig12 has any weapons that's what i want to see and then we have paz also who could have predicted this and who could have predicted that i would feel something about it i have in my notes here paz has his boromir moment and Mm. i did not feel for boromir until that final moment and I did not feel for paths until that final. I mean, he sacrificed himself for the safety of his people. He wasn't this big bad. He wasn't this menace. Like I said earlier in this episode, he didn't put up a fight with like, why should we follow Bo-Katan? He's not gunning for the Darksaber just because Clan Vizsla used to possess it. He's Mandalorian and he's honorable and he fights for his people. And he gets taken down by those guards which no one ever really stands a chance against anyway. What did you think of that moment? Did you see the correlation? Did you feel Boromir in that moment?
0: Yeah, I do love that Boromir scene. You're right. I wasn't thinking that, but that's a great parallel there. I just thought that he could have got away. It was like, no, dude, like you don't have to sacrifice. Everyone's out of the building. Just go. Because I I want more time with Paz. You were making fun of his gun earlier in this uh, podcast season, but I love the do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Like he's a great character. And he's going to be gone now, you know? So that's a bummer. Like, we're just getting to know him this season. We thought he was a curmudgeon. But no, in fact, he's just as honorable as Din. He's just got a little bit more heart of a shell around him. You know, he's still got his son there, which is an interesting dynamic if that character continues. That, like, his father sacrificed to save the rest of them. But his son is still living with the rest of the tribes. I didn't see it coming and then they bring out the guards, which they had alluded to at the beginning of the episode. And then you're like, oh, holy cow, this is like a really direct tie-in with the sequels in The Last yeah. Jedi. I love the tie-in. Building the world makes sense. And obviously they're like important, whatever their level of you know unit is in the Empire's system, that they're an important personnel to have. They're like, you need three of those guys? We only give those to important people. Like you're worried about an assassination? So he called in these heavy duty troopers, these Praetorian guards. So that's kind of cool that now we have a better idea of what they are. I'm sure they're in books or other pieces of canon, but in the live action world, fleshing those out a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I do think part of Paz's sacrifice was that like the troopers found them in a different section of the mine. So the idea that maybe he was staying there to take them head on so that the others could continue to escape right back through the forge and everything might add a little bit to it. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the finale. Maybe we'll have some crazy left field theories, (laughs) everyone's favorite thing, but I think right out of the gate, we now know that Dave Filoni is making a movie that will be the culmination of the Imperial remnant story including, you know, a lot of these characters if they make it. And it has been discussed that maybe that movie won't happen for five or six years. They discussed this at Star Wars Celebration. I do think that this maybe plays in a little bit to kind of our speculation for next week's finale because it's kind of set up so that maybe the Mandalorians, they might be able to win the battle here, but not necessarily the war. You know, the Imperial Remnant, the Shadow Collective, is not going to get squashed here or in Ahsoka. We now know that this story will be drawn out over years. In my opinion, that's a little bit more fun to play with going into something like next week and even Ahsoka, knowing that there's this kind of Empire Strikes Back feeling where you know that the good guys kind of aren't going to win for a while. If they defeat Moff Gideon next week and reclaim Mandalore, great, and we'll find out maybe some more secrets, but there's still the Remnant, and the Remnant treating themselves like the new Rebellion, right? At the beginning of this episode, one of the members of the Shadow Collective says, if we're perceived as anything other than unorganized Remnant warlords, the New Republic will increase their efforts to hunt us down, which I also think is really interesting, almost like they're pulling from the ideas of the Rebellion, right? Because we saw in Andor, the Empire just thinks that they're unorganized cells. So it's like the Empire has learned how to do this from... The Rebels, which I think is also like very cool and very fun. They're striving to be the new Rebellion. But we're not going to see that squelt next week. With that in mind, what are you hoping to see
0: next week as slash any crazy theories you might have? Man, it, it is really interesting when you you start to think about all the stuff that's going to come out and how they're going to tie it in. We know that they've been dropping a lot of hints throughout this season, We just haven't really figured out exactly what the play is going to be. And this episode is as close as we've gotten to like, what could the next step be? And I love how you set this up as like, well, maybe it's not Moff Gideon. Maybe it's there's a war between him and Thrawn. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm spinning just like, dude, I don't know. I'm kind of at like a loss for words of like, what's going to happen next? Because it seems like there's just too many options. But I'm pretty optimistic about it. I love the idea of this culminating event in the future that's going to be a theatrical release. You know, we're bashing on them about, like, have they thought about this season? Like, have they made extra demos that they didn't release in this album format metaphor? They've definitely thought about the yeah. stories. So it's there. All of this stuff is going to come to head, like we said before. I'm just excited for it, man. I don't know about theories because I want to try to rewrite less and I want to try to expect yeah. less. It's hard to do but I think it's gonna be good, I'm excited. And like, I think that's the most important thing is I'm excited for the next thing, no matter what it will be, I'm gonna accept it, but I think it's gonna be freaking awesome. Oh, you know, I'll give one wild left field theory. There could be possibility for like another Luke moment sort of thing, or another Jedi moment sort of thing. They need another X factor to get out of this situation. And I could see that maybe leaning towards that direction or Ahsoka or something. You know, they've mentioned Thrawn. Maybe there's an Ahsoka connection there. I don't know. Left field theory, not expecting it, but would not be surprised if there was something like that. You know, another twist that Mm. we have not yet really been expecting.
1: Plo Koon. Bring in Plo Koon to save Mando. We didn't get Grogu going with Plo Koon. Could be Kelleran. Could be Calcastus. Who knows? Do you think we will see the rescue of Din? So with the Bad Batch, we were saying we didn't necessarily want Omega to get captured in the second to last episode and then rescued in the last episode. You know, that formula is kind of a little overdone. So do you think we'll see Din get rescued? Or do you think that we will be left with wondering what happened to Din until the next season comes
0: out? Wow. I hope we're not left wondering. I want the satisfying conclusion. Everybody back together again but that would be bold. I'll give him points for being bold. You know, I think Bad Batch was pretty bold this season. And the live action, trying very hard, but maybe not taking super bold swings. Paz is maybe a bold one there. Losing a main character like Din would be crazy, but he is in the credits as the Mandalorian. So I don't know about that. Grogu went away and they immediately brought him back. So I don't know, he's a money maker, you know?
1: What if they bring Din back in a different show?
0: He comes back in Ahsoka.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm really curious to see how they do this. I can imagine it going both ways, right? Rescuing Din and and not rescuing Din. I'm sure there's going to be some people who are like, our most important thing is getting our people out of here. We need to continue to exist as Mandalorians. So we got to go. And then maybe a select few being like, we have to rescue Din, you know? Any ideas on the spies, who the spies are, if there are any spies within
0: the sex of Mandalorians? Yeah, that armorer comment and that Woves comment is interesting. I don't know if that was like obvious enough. I thought maybe just the spy was Kane in the beginning, but it was spies plural, so that is odd. Yeah, I don't
1: know there. I, again, not setting expectations, but I also don't think I have any crazy left-field theories other than Plo Koon showing up, which I will always... <laughs> before (laughs) and yeah maybe grogu doing something to rescue din some cool force stuff i think i think we also kind of need some cool force stuff we haven't seen he's spinning the chair and stuff like that and throwing monsters out of the cave which is great but maybe some cool force stuff maybe we'll see grogu quell the mythosaur like he did in uh like he did the rancor and boba fett and then he'll save din with the mythosaur these are all way too i mean i'm super not serious about this but it would be cool to see some cool force stuff and also something i was really curious about is that i think it was clear that gideon didn't want the cloning of the emperor to continue project necromancer i assume that's what that means but he also had tubes of clones in that facility so is he what's he working on there what's going on there i would love like more information on that. I hope we see next week.
0: If the second to last episode was this good, just imagine how good the finale could be and just hope that it will be. I'm sure it will. All right, listeners, we got to keep this conversation going because I'm too pumped up and I'm going to be in the comments section. So I want to (laughs) see, I want to see some left field theories and we would love to hear from you. So leave your comments if you're here on YouTube or hit us up wherever you like to social media and make sure to subscribe here on YouTube because we're almost at 300. Be part of the 300 club here with us. We really appreciate it. And of course, we're going to be back for more coverage in the coming weeks. So thank you for listening today. I've been Royce. I've been Paz Vizsla, tad And we've been... Krypton to oh. Exegolera. I bet you thought I was gonna say the end of the
1: Tripton to all the rod. Tripton to all the ride
0: Oh maybe we'll get Jar Jar. Darth Jar Jar, yeah. <laughs> Mystery solved. <laughs>